you are now guests of the Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence at the virtual event, Radical Permission, Acts of Liberation for a Safer World. Um, there are a handful of you who are mad lucky to be downstairs in person with us. Um, unfortunately, Sonia Renee Taylor and Adrian Marie Brown are not here with us in person, but we did try to create a community vibe downstairs. There's food, there's a lot of love. We've been hanging out for a couple of days uh, with some other training. Enam Winitwas, Ty Simpson, Soyapa Winitwas, Ty Simpson, Enam Winitwas, Atitwatit. I just told you in my indigenous language that my name is Ty Simpson and that my people call me the storyteller. I am joined by my compa, Nisha Newton. They use they and them pronouns. Uh, I will allow Nisha to dive into their introduction momentarily. And we are with two of the baddest baddies to ever change make this movement um, in anti-violence and culture and changing the world. So we're excited to have them today. Um, and we wanna share some love and deep gratitude to a handful of our sponsors. You can see them listed here on the screen. I see you big love for making this event happen. We do know that, um, you know, we, we live in an era of what feels like scarcity, but coming together in community like this is one of the best gifts that we can give one another and give to our community. So Hamakas Katsiao, big love for y'all um, supporting and sponsoring us in this way. Um, I'd also like to offer a shout out to the Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence staff and our contractors that are supporting this event. Again, we had to do some transparent fluid and moving um, and adjusting of who's supporting what while we're here today. And um, we've made it work and we've come together. Um, overview of our space and time. We are going to spend the next, let's see, a little over an hour with our two authors in a very conversational way. I'm a storyteller. And so my vibe is always to create spaces in which we can talk from a storied space, build storied connection, um, learn and hear and feel and understand these juicy connections we have with our ancestors and our descendants and how do those connect with other folks as ancestors and descendants. So that's what storytelling is about and that's the vibe. So in academic spaces, you see a lot of panelist questions, a lot of Q and A. Um, I wanna make sure you all know you can ask your questions um, via the Q and A function. Please do not use it as a chat that gets wildly distracting. Um, I cannot make a promise nor a commitment to you that we are going to answer every single question, but we will allow those questions to inform some of our discussion today. Um, and a couple of communal asks. Some of this work, especially those of you who um, identify uh, or live in a white body, may be uncomfortable with some of the things that you hear uh, here today. Anti-violence, um, I'm sorry, gender-based violence, many of us have that as a profession or it's uh, how we organize. Um, we know that violence, gender-based violence exists at the intersections of systemic oppression. Um, if something is difficult, we invite you to lean into curiosity and not judgment. Curiosity and judgment cannot exist simultaneously, y'all. Um, we're sharing stories with you and in those stories, we are to be affirmed and honored and uplifted as black, brown and indigenous bodies, queer and trans bodies, fat bodies, disabled bodies. We are experiencing the very oppression and uh, the very marginalization and dehumanization that exists as part of these systems. So that's what some of these stories will be about and how, how their amazing curriculum of uh, radical permission can be um, 
can be included and incorporated into our work as change makers and movement makers. Um, so those are the slides that I have. If you wanted me to go back through them, we can circle back at the end. Um, but for now, Amy, I'd like you to invite Nisha as a highlighted um, box on the screen. Um, Sonia and Adrian, we'd love to have you. Um, we'll bring y'all up on the screen as well. I'm gonna start adjusting some things on my screen. Um, let's see, all right, where are my notes? What am I doing? There we are, okay. Um, oh my gosh, like this is the part where I get a little nervous, y'all. Like this is the part where I start fangirling and I'm like, yo, I was just watching you both on Instagram this morning. Sonia it's was hard like, to be around Sonia Renee Taylor. It's hard. <laughs> Every time I, I see her, I do, I'm like, oh my God. Oh wow. You know, you all right jumped there. in on the tech run. I was like, oh, am I, do I sound funny? Like, do I look okay? You know, <laughs> this is just bananas to like, and it feels like kinship, right? Like we've been homies for decades. And then now I finally get to have you in my space and share you with my community and my people and my staff. So again, big gratitude for being here. Um, I wanted to walk through a couple of things before we got started. Like one, probably why are you here? Um, yeah. The Idaho Coalition Against Sexual and Domestic Violence. We are based in Idaho, a couple of demographics. It's like 91% here. We like it. I know Adrian, you've come through once or twice. Um, and we've had you actually at one of our, our, our events back in 2015 or so. Um, yeah, we were all babies. All, all babies, okay. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and we were pre-COVID babies too. Like that was a different time. Was was we were like, oh, I can hug people. <laughs> <laughs> You can sneeze yeah. in public and not feel guilty, right? Like what <laughs> happened to us? What happened to us? Yeah. You know, um, and so every year, every couple of years, for those of you who don't know, we um, we have a collective thriving conference as an organization. We bring six, 700 folks together. Uh, we spend time together in deep learning and deep conversation about how we end gender violence, how we work towards collective thriving. How do we get to a place of liberation? And then it came to a stop because of COVID. So you are here in lieu of that, um, really to be that big voice and the, kind of the, the folks that model how we wanna show up in the world. Mm -hmm. um, you know, a, hand, a handful of us have been here for a few days. Um, our member programs of the coalition have been here talking about how do we you know, understand the world through racial equity? Um, how, who and how do we need to be um, in order to end this violence, you know, that a lot of us take on in our everyday lives that we absorb even when we don't know we're absorbing it. So yeah. that's what we envisioned y'all, like being, moving this work, our change maker work internally, right? That's the conversation we're looking to have. Um, a few folks might ask questions. I might interrupt. Nisha, Nisha might interrupt me, but I brought Nisha on. I'm gonna tell you this, we're sitting right next to each other. Uh, I was like, is Nisha over there? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's better than doing that like awkward lean. And just like, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, and we also have some folks downstairs. Um, if y'all want to come on camera, we wanted them to be able to you to see that there's an actual physical audience here. Yeah, yeah where so they at? Where they at? Yeah, they bring them out. Bring them out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to uh, we're trying to make like bring them. Like we'll see if they can turn that camera on downstairs. Okay. Oh, oh no, it looks like there might've been some tech issues. Y'all, Zoom was down earlier. Our internet was being bananas. Technology is a blessing and a curse. If we can get it back up, we'll yeah, bring it back up. Yeah, the fact up. that we broke Zoom before we even started the Zoom, y'all. Yeah, I just, yeah. 
<laughs> I was like, that's goals. That's success. That's what success looks like in the modern world. It, right. <laughs> I broke is your Zoom technology. Is Zoom trying to erase us? <laughs> on the rack so yes break it <laughs> yeah we out here um, well it is really disappointing that hopefully at some point we will be able to show the folks downstairs they are really really beautiful folks who are committed to liberation and I can I can hear little whisperings downstairs so I'll try to bring the best energy I can from them up here okay and so we'll, yeah, for sure. That was, that's what I had. I'm going to MC. I'm going to crack jokes. I'm going to remind us to breathe, but I'm going to let Nisha, because let me introduce y'all. You're going to be big fans of Nisha after this. Y'all are going to follow Nisha on Instagram after this. Ooh. Being a queer trans black baddie, organizing in Idaho, now taking over New Orleans, all our communications um, expert at the Idaho coalition, but we have in community organized together for a few years outside of our day jobs, right? You know, we do this work all the time. Ah. Um, and Nisha is also a storyteller and I want y'all to be able to connect together. Uh, so I'll let Nisha introduce themselves and we'll all just spend some time together hanging out. I love it. Earlier Ty had said that y'all were the baddest baddies and then I just got called a baddie. So I almost, you know, I like I like the energy. Baddie coalition. Baddie coalition. <laughs> Like that. Yeah. Body coalition that broke Zoom. Remember the name, remember the date. Exactly. <laughs> I would describe myself as a community change maker and a community caretaker. And then just yesterday, uh, Arlene Vassal, she had said that she was a hope dealer. And I was like, ah, oh, I like that. So I'm also going to self-proclaim myself as a hope dealer. <laughs> um, I find my joy and my purpose in life through resistance, but also through restoration. My people are the kind of people who resist and restore their communities. Mm. My people are the type of people who bring Tupperware in their car when we know we're about to go somewhere and eat good, so we got some for tomorrow. My people are the kind of people who always <laughs> leave the house with a couple of dollars so that um, they can always call home and pass something along to folks who need it. I do currently do communications work, but I'm loyal to liberation. I will find myself in any space that I can find any any purpose for myself and my creativity. Awesome. That's hey. great. Um, let's, let's start there. Um, how are y'all showing up today? Yeah. Um, and then in that first question, tell us about radical permission. I mean, I promise you, not a lot of folks in Idaho know what that means. <laughs> Our national partners may not know what that means. Yeah, how are y'all showing up? And tell us about radical permission. Hmm. I'll jump in, and then I'll and then I'll turn it to you. Um, I am showing up in deep gratitude. So glad to be with y'all in this space. I feel like I've been on a uh, uh, like a myriad of journeys. <laughs> and around the world, and so yeah, yeah, yeah. I have been around the world, and I yeah, yeah. Um, and I am my own baby. Uh, <laughs> and it's been this just really beautiful opportunity. I am hanging out um, in Durham, so I'm just a few a few minutes away from Adrian, uh, and that's always a delight to get to be to get to be um, amongst friends and folks. And I'm giving myself radical permission right now to to just be to not have myself as clearly defined as I have historically to not know what I'm doing or who I am exactly are all of these things that I felt very um, 
led to understand about myself. Like yeah. radical permission right now is the permission to sort of devolve from all of the old definitions and see what wants to arise. Like, and so for me, radical permission is that foundational, transformative um, yes that you're giving yourself. Yeah. I love that. I don't know why we didn't, why we're not, you should be here. So I we know, I thought about that. Yes, I almost said it yesterday. I was like, oh, we should just do it together. And then it left my brain. I know. Sonia was sitting on my couch really. last night. I know, <laughs> I we, like, we could have done that. <laughs> we could have done some very cute things with that. But I know. Anyway. <laughs> regret. So I guess I'm I'm coming into this with regret. Um, that's, that's <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. no, but I'm having, um, today is a really good day. I feel like I've been harnessing this eclipse season um, to figure out like what's the next upgrade level up for my work and my boundaries. And it's been kind of incredible. Um, I'm the kind of person who has like, there's a new frontier of permission inside myself every day <laughs> where I'm like, oh, I didn't even know I was denying myself yet another thing that I really want or need. And I will say that for me, similarly, the permission is how I live in my big enthusiastic yes, my yes that ties me into the collective. And what makes it radical, you know, I think of Angela Davis saying radical means to grab something at the root. So for me, it's like, how do I go down into my system and find the roots of the obstacles, the roots of the no's, the roots of the stories that diminish me, the roots of everything that tells me I don't deserve to live my whole life as my whole self. And I feel like the radical permission is like, I'm pulling all of that out of my garden, putting it back into the compost pit bin and kind of being in my, in the yes, in which I'll say there's often a lot that is giving myself permission to feel uncomfortable for the sake of changing. So mm -hmm. I've done um, work as a doula and I always talk about this because the most uncomfortable part of it is the instant right before the birth happens. And I find that that on a micro level happens over and over again, where I'm like, oh, I can't handle this. And it's like, you, you need to actually give yourself permission to push, you know, to open, to release, to jump, to do whatever it is that needs to happen next. So, um, and, and yeah, Sonia and I got to sit last night and catch up and talk about how radical permission is really shaping our lives. So it, I, it's good. Thank you for Are you crying? I might. I might cry. I was like, I said, like, we just, we just, how are we doing? I was like, babe, not yet. <laughs> not yet. <laughs> no, I love, this is an accomplishment, y'all. This, we, Ty and I are both Capricorns. We are not necessarily known for Capricorn being. Capricorn rising. Beings, so <laughs> that's beautiful. Yeah, when I, when I feel moved, also, I'm already just like a walking, talking, raw nerve. Like, it's oh, good. I mean, right. the world's just been rough, right? You're like, I'm the goat of feeling. Yeah, exactly. like, well, welcome to Scorpio season, everyone. Oh, yes. <laughs> Three placements yes. in Scorpio, and they're all in relationships. What is happening? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it really does. Next time, you'll have to invite us to just come back and talk about astrology. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> it doesn't seem like there could be a better time for this conversation. And it's funny because since this conversation, I knew it was happening. I kept being like, ah, oh, this is the perfect moment for this. And then the next week challenges me in a new different way. And I'm like, okay. And I just, I think that this is, very, very <laughs> um, 
So I'm glad that this conversation one of the things that you had just said, Adrian, um, was how you talked about radical permission being your whole self. And that was one of the things that, as I've been reading the journal of radical permission, wholeness, whole self, it's like in every margin, the pages are all folded up. And yes. wholeness is this notion that keeps coming back to me. And I love this concept of radical permission so much because it invites my whole self. And as somebody who's black and queer and trans and a survivor and many of these identities, I'm oftentimes compartmentalizing myself. So I think that that's really mesmerizing and inspiring for me. And I think what really takes it to the next level for me and really what resonates so loudly with me is that it's this practice of waging this practice for ourselves, our whole selves, because as much as I would like to think I've been loyal to liberation and I've shaken off all of these things that I've been indoctrinated with and trained to be, I still am very committed to my community. I'm very committed to movements going on outside of, in my state, outside in other states, across the nation. There's so many things that I put forward before myself and before my yeah. commitment to myself and my yes. And so I guess I would just, I would like to ask y'all like how, how do you find yourself resisting the urge to, to outwardly commit yourself? Like, how do you take this radical permission for yourself? Or how are y'all figuring it out in real time? I'm like, oh my God, how did you know? So, I mean, <laughs> this is like, you know, I will say this. I'm a Virgo son. I'm an oldest daughter. I am like, service is my life. And when I met movement at like the age of 17, 18 years old, it was like the perfect structure for this shape of wanting to be in supplication and service, right? It was just like, my life doesn't matter. All that matters is that I give myself fully to the liberation of all people. Like that's, there's no I in movement. Like it really was like, that was my orientation. And as I got politicized into that space, I kept, I kept finding myself disappeared. I kept finding myself quiet. I, I was trying to literally become a part of the wall or the container rather than be seen. And um, hint, hint, it doesn't work. That <laughs> doesn't work because part of what happens in that politicization, that way of entering into movement is there's the problem is externalized as much as the solution is. So it's like, oh, those people are bad. They need to change. And I need to be completely in service to that. And none of those are things I can actually control or change. They're not things I can touch. They're not things I can practice. So at a formative moment in my political de development, I met Grace Lee Boggs, who I can show you my ancestor altar over here is popping, but there's a lot of Grace art here, but Grace is with, with me and with us all the time, but she taught me to transform myself to transform the world. And when I thought about the other ideas I was holding, which is like, to heal, we have to look at things that are broken and see them whole. I'm like, if I could do that to the world, cause I'm like, oh, the world is so incredible. It's so beautiful. I can see justice. Can I do that for myself? And for myself, I was like, no, I'm broken beyond belief. I can't get these ideas out of me. I don't know how to do justice the right way. I don't know how to stop punishing people. I don't know how to divest from capitalism and free Palestine. And like, I, I would feel so overwhelmed by what I couldn't do. And I feel like the work of radical permission has been this ongoing daily practice of recognizing that shape that I'm like, oh, I'm putting that in front of myself, which means I don't have to be accountable. 
there's a way that I'm like, I don't actually have to be accountable for changing if I put, if I put everything external to myself. I don't have to change. So why Sonia and I started laughing is because just like right now I'm in this moment where it's like, once again, standing on a threshold, standing on a precipice and like, it's time to jump off and be accountable for learning to fly, be accountable for finding the thermals, be accountable for knowing what I leave behind and what's ahead of me. And I, you know, the question I've been asking, I'm like, is it okay for me to do that? Is that okay? I, am I allowed to make art? Am I allowed to, you know, and because it's so, it's so much louder, it's like, no, that's not tangible service that could be measured for your community. And yet I will say the flip side of this and then I'll hand it over to you, Sonia. Every time I have been at a precipice and I have left, it has actually been a greater service to my community every single time. When I was working on emergent strategy, I thought I was just, <laughs> I was like, I'm being so self-indulgent looking at these ants and bees. This is not relevant to movement. This is not gonna help anybody. And yet I kept listening and I gave myself permission to hear what nature wanted to teach me about being in movement. And it changed my life. And a lot of people were like, that's what I was also needing. Same thing with pleasure activism. I'm like, everyone's going to be like, we can't take your leadership. You're a slut. And I was like, well, I think there's something important about that. <laughs> um, and again, tons of, people, <laughs> tons of people have been like, you gave me permission to feel desire. You gave me permission to consider that I could heal. You gave me permission to learn how to be in consent culture. So I think the point of that for me is those things that help us heal ourselves actually are how we heal community. That's, it's, it's not disconnected. It's not moving in opposite directions. It's the DNA strands. It's like, this is how we actually change. So yeah. Yeah, 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 all of that, all of that. And for me, the thing that, you know, one of the things that I say all the time is like, if, you know, like if you did all this work to get everybody free and you left yourself behind and we didn't get free, right? Yeah. Like we didn't, <laughs> a mission aborted, right? We didn't oh, wow. do the thing, <laughs> right? Oh, and so that's what movement has done. Like in so many ways, what people have done is like, we're gonna get everybody free. We're gonna give everybody free. But all of us have completely denied ourselves, denied what we need, denied our own joy, denied our own connection, denied our own freedom. But we're free, but we gonna get y'all, we're not because the whole people trying to get us free are still in bondage, in bondage to overworking, in bondage to self-denial, in bondage to their own fear, in bondage to their own, you know, like patterns of pain. There's a way oftentimes I have found in my own world where movement can become the place where we hide from ourselves, much like Adrian just said. It's like, oh, right, this is a great place to not have to deal with my stuff. Because look how messed up the entire rest of the world is, right? And I got to fix that. Yeah. And there is no, there is, what you said, Adrian, that I just saw was like so poignant, right? It's like, in order to fix a thing, you have to see this thing as whole, right? Yes. We can't create the world we say that we want to be in without tending to our own wholeness. We can't. You cannot build externally that which you have not built internally. You can't. You literally just don't have the tools for it. You don't have the tools. 
We don't have tools. Your instructions. Run that back. <laughs> right? You don't have the tools. And so what we end up doing is we end up wondering why we create recreated a thing that looks really similar to the thing we said we was trying to get rid of. It's because we haven't built new tools in ourselves. So radical permission for me is the place to say, there is nothing that I can offer this world that I that that is useful if I haven't actually developed it in me. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a false, you know, like it's literally, my mama used to call it selling wolf tickets. Come to this show that isn't produced, hasn't been paid for, we didn't write the script, nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's right, Sonia. And you know what? I think just to alley-oop on what you just said, there's something about it that's like, it's also the difference between understanding and being able to practice. So when I think about moving into a new world and being like, we're, we are telling people, what movement is telling people is we can see another way of doing this. We want you to come with us, join us, help us co-create that. But if we don't practice it, if it's just theoretical, which I'm sure y'all have tasted this particular mm -hmm. fruit, then we get in the moment you're like, oh, now I'm in charge. Now we're in charge. And Back we're the creating the same <laughs> behaviors. We're punishing each other. You know, that's the cancel, we will not cancel us for me came out of that, of being like, we are punishing each other where we are supposed to be practicing sanctuary and solidarity. How did we get here? How do we practice something else? And if we don't, pra practice is what we become. Practice is how we get to embodiment, right? When I look at Sonia, I'm like, oh, you are embodied at releasing. You are embodied at letting go of the old way that's in your system because I've seen you practice it over and over and over. I don't have to, it's not just that you're telling me. I'm like, I see it in all of your actions. And so I trust that you know a way and I would follow you to do that. I'm not gonna let go of steak and eggs, but I will let go of something. I'm yeah. not like, I have a question. I have a question. Well, one, do y'all consent to therapying me for a minute? Because I feel like I'm in therapy. It's my um, favorite. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have a therapy degree, just so y'all know. Yeah, right. I was always putting that disclaimer, but yes. <laughs> I'm like, but I have a therapy practice for my right. <laughs> oh, I think it I think it comes from like kinship and supporting community in a way, you know, we didn't have degrees, we didn't have degrees pre-colonization, right? Exactly. So um and we still don't. <laughs> <laughs> we still don't. Yeah. Our medicine women just out here saving yeah. not one degree. Um the embodiment and the practice, like. And I'm saying this from personal experience. Like I said, I've had a really rough year in, a, in my personal life, yes, um, but I've seen I... some really amazing things happen in my professional life. There's not, I, that's kind of a, there is no binary there. Like it all bleeds together. Um, but what happens when the embodiment and the, the building of ourselves actually feels like destruction? It, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, I'm out here, like everything feels like it's crumbling to pieces. Like, because like, what, what is that? And what yeah. happens, you know? Well, it is destruction, right? Like it is, it is a destruction of all the illusions upon which your life was built, right? And you can't get to the thing that is real and solid without destroying the thing that was the illusion. Mm -hmm. And so it, it always feels like destruction, <laughs> right? But it, it, destruction is what, precipitates creation, right? Like, and so you can't have creation without destruction. And, and part of what 
I think we often find ourselves doing is we don't like destruction, destruction's uncomfortable. And so we're like, well, I'm just gonna create on top of what's already there. Well, if- Stop talking gonna, about me. <laughs> if you're gonna create on top of what's already there, the roots of what's already there will always overtake the garden. And then you will, and, and, will, and will strangle out what it is that you called yourself creating. Yeah. So destruction is an essential element of coming into the new beginning. You know, Adrian said this uh, in a, one of our Q and D's, I think, and it was like, when you're in the birth canal, right? That, that moment, and I feel this, like this is my real time, right? When you're in the birth canal, you know, there, there are a set of walls pressing on your skull and you're in darkness and you absolutely, if you could remember to that time, you'd be like, I'm finna die. <laughs> this is absolutely the end of life yes. but it's actually the beginning of life right and so the, the the work is to when you're in that pressure the pressure of that crowning right is to remember that is to one just breathe into it to remember that much like birth it is designed to happen life is designed to life right and what wasn't true wants to fall away so that you can have more life. I love that, Sonia. That's good stuff. And I, I think the thing I'll add here is, because um, I'm someone who's like, I'm never done. I must destroy more of myself. Like there's a way that you can go hard, <laughs> you know, go a little too hard with it or be constantly tearing yourself down or you can develop an imposter syndrome or other things that come from like, if there's no there, like, you know, how do I, how do I know who I am? And one of the things I want to offer is if you have an idea of yourself as constantly developing, I think of this as the concept of dialectical humanism is that as a human, part of how we are shaped is that we are actually constantly developing and we return to the same lessons over and over again until we learn them. So it's like part, it's like, it takes a lot of iteration sometimes to shift and to change. And we, this may be different on other worlds. This may be different in other universes. We don't know. In the one we live in, all matter has to be broken down and to create more matter, right? There is this way that nothing actually disappears. It becomes something else. The ground that we live on is the compost of everything that ever happened. That's why there's fossils. That's why everything gets released. It has to find a way back into the earth. Like that's the world we live in. So I think it's, our human hubris that makes us like, I will somehow figure out a different way than how volcanoes make land. I will figure out some <laughs> other different way than the earth canal. I'll figure out a different way than a storm that pulls the water up into the air. You know, I'm going to figure something else out. And it's like, no, that's, this is how our world is designed. And it doesn't have to be painful. It doesn't have to be as painful if we actually recognize it and start to get curious about it so now like I'll just say I had a recent moment where I had to set a boundary and I felt this tightness in me like it felt like my chest was going concave because it was the tightness was pulling in so deeply and I was like oh I'm trying to avoid destruction of this connection destruction of this relationship and in order to do it, I am destroying myself. I'm literally oh, trying to contain something exploding in me over and over and over. Like my rage, my, my feeling of you're, you're crossing my boundaries, all of it. I was like, oh, I'm trying to hold that in me. I'm not Iron Man. <laughs> I can't do that. 
So I really had that kind of moment of like, if I stop just trying to hold the destruction between my bones, between the rib cage <laughs> bones of myself, and instead let it be a moment of vulnerability, I'm exploding inside. Being in this dynamic is exploding me, it's destroying me, and I won't do that anymore. I won't participate anymore. And our friend Prentice Hemphill gives us a beautiful guidance, which I think I use with myself and with others. So boundaries are the distance at which I can love you and myself simultaneously, right? Loving myself is component, a crucial component of that always, always. So if I have to love myself out of capitalism, then I have to destroy the parts of capitalism that feel at home in me, mm -hmm. right? I, that's the boundary between myself and capitalism. If I want to love myself out of patriarchy, I have to really be able to notice mm -hmm. where does patriarchy have its feet propped up in my house, mm -hmm. right? And how do I destroy the ottoman and then the chair and then the boots and the whole situation, right? It's, it, but it's really being able to say like, I want to excavate this and there might be a wound, but that's okay because I'm good at healing and mm -hmm. I will heal from this. And then something new becomes possible. So that's the other part is if you look at every landscape on this planet that has been called destroyed, it is fecund. Yeah. New Burn. things are growing, right? Yeah. New things are growing in that space. They might look a little alien or the alien little bugs that are growing in Chernobyl. Okay, I don't know, but something is growing. Something is growing. And the same thing is true for all of us. Mm -hmm. I love that. You know, can I tell you how small our community is? Yeah. Um, me and Prentice and Eddie went to sing karaoke in Hawaii before the lockdown. Like, so just how <laughs> I love that. Who was the best that. singer? Who was the best? Oh, was Eddie, the best Eddie, singer? Eddie, 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 best singer. You <laughs> can sing his little butt off. Okay, with those dimples. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I love that. Me and my phone. So just I'm gonna tell. I'm gonna tell Pete. <laughs> I'm like, oh. I don't karaoke. I was there for emotional support <laughs> uh, you've, been, you've been called out now called out uh -oh. like uh -oh. i was getting the therapy of karaoke that others were doing <laughs> that is exactly what happens when i go to karaoke uh yeah misha what, what's coming up for you like i know you've got you had big vision for this like i already know like i'm joking because i know that my loved ones are all like this is so amazing and i know my counselor is somewhere in the distance like child i've been saying this i'm not here <laughs> I said this so I'm feeling many many things I think that one of the things that I'm still really unsure of what to do one of the many things I'm unsure of what to do moving forward is how to like give myself this this trust radical permission it sounds spicy I'm into it I want it I'm ready for it this is something that I'm ready for myself the things the communities that I'm loyal to and I love this concept because I think of myself and other minoritized folks like me and other folks who really need to reclaim this permission, the folks who really need this consent given to themselves. And then I also have this other part of my brain that's very scary. This is the scary side of my brain. Yeah. Being the, the hoteps, the <laughs> part of my brain that's envisioning the well-meaning, very, very violent white women who self-proclaim themselves as allies, who are also now giving themselves this permission to do things that are probably harmful. And I would like to not think of myself as the hotep or the well-meaning person who's out here causing harm. And so I'm thinking about like how I give myself this trust or how I start uh -huh. to practice waging this radical permission and also practice waging this trust. 
and yes, really being yes. committed to this trust as well. Yeah, I mean, I'll say one word on this and then I, I'm sure you have 20 more. Like I, the thing that I'll say is you're not trusting towards perfection, right? We are not trusting ourselves to give ourselves permission. And then what, what comes out of that permission is like, and now I am a perfect human, right? Perfectly realized. I make no mistakes. I never have the wrong politic. I never need development. That's not what we're ever aiming for. That's not one of the gifts that humans were given. We don't have perfection. Even Beyonce makes mistakes occasionally, right? But I do feel like there's something that we can practice that is, I trust myself to stay curious and to learn. I'm giving myself permission to take the risks that are pushing up from within me, right? If you think of a seed opening underground, it's like that wants to open. It wants to push up from the darkness up towards the sunlight that it can't see, that it can't even feel necessarily. There's not even, you know, it's just like, I just have to. We have that same kind of self that is trying to emerge. I think a lot of the behaviors you're talking about, the hotepery, the violent allies, a lot of times these are folks who are like, they're trying to also deconstruct what they were put into. They are still embodying aspects of those harmful systems. This is why intersectionality is so important, right? So like when I think of the violent um, ally, I'm like, oh, maybe you're practicing feminism, but you haven't addressed race or you haven't addressed class, right? Or you haven't learned how those things might show up in your style of conflict or your style of communication. With hotepery, it's often like, oh, you're really thinking a lot about race and you're really thinking about trying to reclaim some dignity, but you haven't actually addressed patriarchy and you haven't actually addressed your relationship to economic systems and so on and so forth. Like with each of them, you can be like, oh, it's almost like a, you could create a diagram, right? It's like, if you address this issue and don't hold an intersectional lens and address this other thing, then we can start to see some familiar shapes that emerge from that. And they're not lost, right? They're also practitioners. I'll tell you the hardest thing that I try to trust is maybe I'm wrong. Maybe the hoteps are right, right? Maybe this, this woman who is inter interrupting me over and over again, maybe that's the move. And I don't, I need to learn how to interrupt more often, right? Like let, even though it doesn't feel right to me, even though I'm trying to, you know, I'm just like, or maybe that's just another way to be a human being. And if it doesn't work for me, the work on me is to set a boundary between myself and that, right? The thing I think we want to be careful of is giving permission to the harm rather than the shape. So when someone is actually causing harm, we want to be able to say what you just did caused harm, right? That permission means we can enter into a conflict around it. We can enter into a change. So I'm like, if you're and people know this, when I first moved to the Bay back in 2006, long ago, someone came up to me and said, I'm your ally. And it was the most aggressive forced <laughs> thing, you know? And I was like, I come from New York. We don't just accept, you don't just tell me what our relationship is going to be. And I had such a negative reaction to it. And that person, I ended up in deep conversation that changed both of us where I was like, oh, there are times when I need help, but you need to learn a lot about how you would even approach giving that to me. And the relationship was the, where the trust could happen, right? Rather than the assumption or the shape or the, everyone wants belonging. 
everyone really wants belonging. So a lot of times when we're talking about, am I trusting someone? Sometimes you have to be like, oh, that person's looking for belonging in this way. I could offer a different kind of belonging if I'm honest with them. And if I trust myself to speak up in the moment. Yeah. Sonia, what you got? One of the things that comes that sort of came to mind as you were asking that question, Nisha, is that oftentimes what, you know, like when we're talking about these sort of like warped manifestations of what we're thinking, we're like, oh, well, they've given themselves radical permission to be ridiculous. They're worse selves, trash, <laughs> right? <laughs> and what I would offer is that that's actually not radical permission at all. That is, it may be permission, but it isn't radical permission in the way that we're talking about, which is transformative, grasping at the root, right? It is someone who has said, I actually haven't given myself permission to be wrong. I haven't given myself permission to have my worldview change. I haven't given myself permission to, to have the entire way I was raised, or all the things I was indoctrinated to believe to be challenged. I actually am not giving myself permission at all to explore anything other than what has constantly been replicated to me throughout my life. That's mm -hmm. not permission. That's just default. That's status quo, mm -hmm. right? And so part of what we're, radical permission is I trust that I can be wrong toward my own healing. <laughs> I can be <laughs> wrong and still moving in the direction of the fullness of my identity, right? So radical permission gives yourself permission to be curious enough to mess up, right? To mess up in service of dismantling the thing that you've been afraid to look at, right? Yeah. I think about Hamer all the time and she's like, if I fall, I'm gonna fall five feet, three inches towards my freedom, right? That's, right? That's what radical permission is. It's not the permission to never fall. That's not permission at all. That's just... You're not the same thing like that, that the world tells you to do anyway, right? Is never fall, never be wrong, never, never risk um, looking foolish, never be vulnerable. Like that's just the construct we're already in. And so part of the trust is to say, I trust myself enough to know that even if I mess it up, yeah. I am messing it up toward my liberation. That's right. No, I love that. Uh, that. Uh, no. <laughs> Hold up. Hold up. Uh, the, uh, like, and I hope, like, there were actually some questions that came through and y'all just answered them in literally three minutes. Uh, oh, wow. Where it was like, how do we, um, how do we not take up space in our identities? It was always the, like, restriction of our own radical permission for radical permission to work. And I, I just want to underscore that, like, we can be messy in this. In a lot of the work that we do at the Idaho Coalition, there's a lot of need for checklists and a lot of affirmation and hand-holding as we hand-holding in an infantilizing sort of way. But like, we just, people wanna be safe in the really, really difficult work. Um, and so, I mean, and uh, these questions too, and this is actually one I wanna uplift because this one's difficult for me, for somebody who is uh, black and indigenous. Uh, the rage and the pain that we feel as part of this destruction, as part of the uh, radical permission we're giving, I give myself radical permission to feel my rage, but that's so off-putting, right? Like the, the, we are not socialized to let black women be angry. What happens when we are engaging in practices of radical permission and the rest of the world is not, right? This is Idaho after all, you know, when people are not ready to join us in this work, then what? Mm -hmm. 
I'm like, they're never ready to join us in this work. They don't want us to right. do this work. I think we ask questions that we're living in in real time, right? Like yes. we're practicing in a world that's not ready for us to practice. And, and also we've seen what happens. Like we, the thing that I love to point out to people is everyone I know who's like radically trying something different. First, we try to do it usually within some structure. We try to achieve in school. We try to behave. We try to respond to punishment. We try to please our parents. We try to please these systems. Did you try? At some point we tried. Now we're all cool and we're like, I'm beyond all that and I'm rap being rageful. But I'm like, first I tried to swallow my rage. First I tried to, um, I tried to make it palatable. I thought that it was my job to take care of the oppressor as I was un, un you know, throwing off the oppression. I was like, oh, I'm gonna throw you off my back, but let me make sure someone catches you, you know? And yeah, so we tried that, didn't work. It has not worked, we're, we're not free yet. So I think one of the things, um, I, I will say one of the things that I have learned is sometimes we are really misdirected with where we're taking our energy and where we're taking our rage. So I feel like a lot of times we're like, I'm mad, I'm mad and I'm in a whole institution by myself as the one angry person. That's one way to work. It's the hardest way. It's like being a salmon going upstream by yourself and salmon rolling groups. There's something that happens when you're all trying to do it together that you can get all the way up there. So I often talk to people about like, are you in a location where your rage can actually be harnessed and effective? Because if you're not, again, it'll start to eat at you. You're like, I have to always be the one to bring stuff up. I have to always be the one to intervene. That's exhausting labor. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times I'm like, is there a place where you can rage together? Or if you're isolated, like in Idaho, you might be like, okay, we, we isolated. There's a lot of people who are trying to do the hard work, but we are isolated from each other. How do you come together and say, there's a pattern that we're noticing across all these institutions as the black and indigenous people, right? So how do you collectivize and how do you share the load of the rage? Rage is heavy. And I think I'll say this, Sonia, because <laughs> this is my practice. I like ancestor work around this because what my ancestors know for sure is they've been experimenting with rage for a long time and trying to find ways. Sometimes rage has been like, we're burning down the plantation. Sometimes rage has been like, we're, we're gonna try to physically fight back. Sometimes rage is I'm jumping off the side of the ship. Sometimes rage is I'm doing a counter lunch counter sit-in. You know, rage leads to powerful actions. Sometimes it succeed and sometimes it don't succeed. One of the things I think we're trying to do that our ancestors want us to do and that those who are coming after us want us to do is figure out how to use our wage elegantly, how to use our rage effectively, how to use our rage in ways that actually carve a space out for a future for our species, right? And in that regard, I'm like, I don't hold rage against those who also wanna carve that out. You might get on my nerves. We might not need to work right side to side, but I'm like, if you're up to that work, even if you are an annoying ally, even if you are a hotep, but I'm like, okay, but you love in the earth, I'm not gonna hold my rage towards you. I'm not gonna uh, rage out at you. I know where my rage needs to go. It's at those billionaire people who are holding the power and destroying the earth. 
I want us all to figure out how we harness it towards that. So I want to say that because I think sometimes the misdirection of it makes our rage less powerful than it needs to be. And then those people who are like telling us, be quiet, stop bringing that rage in my face. It's easier to let their voice in because we're not feeling the effect of our rage. It just feels like I'm throwing a tantrum as opposed to, you know, I look at the Me Too and the BLM movement and other movements like that. And I'm like, we were so powerful, even though our numbers are smaller in this country, we were so powerful that we have caused a massive policy backlash and we are not done fighting, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if we could keep our rage targeted at the target as opposed towards each other, we could be making some major moves right now. We haven't quite figured that out. Mm-hmm. That makes me think other- dignity. Dignity kept coming up in your piece and it hones in perfectly. Sonia, what were you going to say? The other thing I was going to say to this piece about like, well, what do we do when we're the one person in the place or we don't have the right? And I think that sometimes this goes back to what you said earlier, Ty, about like, what do we do when life is destroying something, right? Yes. And oftentimes what happens is we find ourselves in that place because it's life being like, this ain't your place, but we don't want to have the thing that's the most comfortable that we know. And, and when I say the most comfortable, I don't mean comfortable like nice or good. I mean comfortable like known, right? Sometimes we're staying in places that are miserable and unhappy. They're just known, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right? Or they're and salaried prefer, and benefited. Yeah, salaried and got benefits. <laughs> yeah. And I'm miserable, and but I'm gonna keep my salary, you know, like, and so sometimes we're making those choices and those choices are corrosive to us. What life is actually trying to do is make it, you know, it's like when I, when I gently suggested that this might be, might not be the right place, you know, you scoffed at me. And then I like yelled, hey, this might not be the right place. He was like, yeah. whatever, I'm gonna listen later. And then he was like, I have to go. <laughs> Right. And so life is getting increasingly more pressurized to get your attention that perhaps where you are is not where you're supposed to be. Right. And so if you find yourself in a building and an organization and an institution and a whatever, and you feel isolated and alone, and there's and there's no one where you're connected with, it very well may be life trying to suggest to you that that's not where you're supposed to be. But we got to get willing to listen and then willing to get uncomfortable and let what wants to be destroyed be destroyed. Yeah, I think one more word on that is also if your rage is at an individual, always ask yourself what is the system that is supporting that individual's behavior? What's the system? Rage against the machine. And I'm going to say that for all of my um, colleagues fellow advocates, act lawyers, organizers, case managers, because we, working in violence, we see the offenders. We, we sometimes see our own offenders in our day-to-day. We see them on social media, and that's always it. Like, it's the hardest question that I've ever had to learn to ask was not, like, why are you doing this, but what happened to you? What happened to you? That, oh, like, and then I'm like, I'm still pissed off, though, like, and then flip like, what? <laughs> Absolutely. And it goes back to what Adrian said about like, you can't fix a thing. You can't see the possibility of wholeness in. And so if we at an individual level only see whatever, whoever it is as the worst version of themselves and, and impossible to be redeemed toward wholeness, then we're actually just on a treadmill. 
we will we will only continue to run towards an ending that we'll never get to because you have to be able to see the other person as human as as human as you and as deserving of healing as you and as harmed by these systems and shaped by these systems as you yeah and you know something is occurring to me now which may or may not resonate so feel free to be like shut up but there's something in in this moment that's also like a lot of times it's us as survivors who are drawn to do this work to try to fix this system while we're still hurting from the wounds while we're still shaped around the wounds while we're still um, wounded. And I think that's not an accident, but I think what plays out is there's actually a time limit or a energy limit or a capacity that we're not aware of. Like when we enter the work, sometimes our rage is like the main fuel that's bringing us into the work, but we can only carry that for so long. And so I tell people, I'm like, it's okay to think in terms of the stagger. Like I'm 44 now. And I don't do the same kind of frontline confrontational work that I did when I was 23 for good reason, right? I, I was full of rage. I was very comfortable just screaming in the face of the police. I, there was just a different energy and it was what the survivor in me needed to be able to do in that moment. And it's what I had the energy for. And that's not the energy that's in me right now. That's, I have grown, I have shifted, but I've also worn exhausted it right i'm like i really released it <laughs> i let a lot of it out and something new heartbreak was able to come because so i was like what was under all that rage for me was i'm heartbroken that we have this planet and that we are built this way and that this is what we're doing with it it breaks my heart that people hurt children it breaks my heart that we violate each other the heartbreak was under there i had to grieve for a decade now after doing all that, the rage and, and the heartbreak are still present, but they're metabolized in a different way into the future-oriented work, into the visionary work, into the healing work. I'm like, I have a rage-fueled healing practice, but what it looks like now is when I see something or when I hear about something happening, I'm like, I know what I need to take to the ancestors, and I know that I need to turn this into a song, and I know that I need to find, you know, how do I give back towards the folks who have been hurt in this, like, it's very clear what I need to do, but I had to go through that whole journey and it, I've staggered and I deeply support the people who are in different places in that journey. But I think being able to look at each other and say, I honor where you are in your journey, even if I'm not there. And I honor that I'm exhausted. I can't stay in this place. Mm -hmm. I've got to go. And it's okay. Like I, I gave my time. We can't Harriet Tubman did the running back and forth of people for eight years. She lived a much longer life than that. Eight years was when she was doing that level of work. We know how important that work was, but she didn't do that for 20. She didn't do that for 30, right? Because of the intensity of that work and the danger of it. And I don't think we often think about the intensity and danger of this kind of frontline work with violence, this kind of frontline work with these oppressive systems. It's dangerous for our souls, mm -hmm. right? even because we're trying to change it. Yeah, wow. Especially just thinking about like showing up to the front lines. For so long, I convinced myself, like I must wait until the rage has dissipated. I must wait till I am healed to show up. Like it almost was this, okay, once this is done, 
then I'll be ready. And so I really just love how many of these things, like you were saying earlier, it's the DNA strand. Mm -hmm. Yes. Fuel, it's the rage fuel. It's the healing centered liberation. We don't have to wait for the healing to happen. Yes. We don't, there's, you know, like there's nothing in this process of the world that we are trying to create that we get to like be complete with the thing before the next thing. Like even the, the notion of that kind of duality, I'm fixed or I'm stagnant. I, you know, like all of that duality is what is falling. A lie. <laughs> all a lie. It's all illusion. And what's true is that we are, you know, that we are wounded, mended, mending, healed, harmed beings looking to evolve to whatever the next level of lesson is, right? And that we will take all of those aspects of ourselves with us to that next level. One of the last thoughts that's really coming up for me, like it's cute to imagine the dramatic, like I gave the radical permission. I was in the rain, dancing. There was the light. I want the video. I want the video. Where's like that? Feels like a 90s R&B <laughs> video already. Yeah, that was the moment <laughs> of radical permission. And I'm wondering, like, I know that there's a really mundane, not super sexy kind of radical permission too. So I would love to pose a question, including Ty as well what is one of the last times like this week that y'all gave yourselves radical permission and what did your body feel like before what did your body feel like after you just I want everybody to recognize we all just took a collective ass deep ass breath <laughs> <laughs> I was ready to be like what's your favorite color and why does it remind you of your dad Yo. <laughs> easy question I guess this was the hard one yeah, yeah. what is a mundane way just a simple way that you gave yourself radical permission and what was that like in your body well one thing I do want to say is I don't believe that the mundane is not sexy <laughs> um yeah. but I, I do want to I'm just sort of like let's let's say <laughs> there's something very sexy about having a amazing that's so Virgo of you it's so Thank you. I feel so seen and that's what I needed. Um, so, I mean, I, I'll talk about this. It's been a season of boundary setting, like all kinds of boundaries setting. And my shape is a fawning, appeasing, pleasing shape. Like I want to please, I want to serve, I want to make it right for everybody. So when I'm, when it's time for me to set a boundary, this week I had to do it two days ago. It was like, there's a boundary that needs to be set because um, it's basically there's no uh, there's no right authentic way for me to be in this in a relationship with this person. So I'm like I have to set this boundary, and what it feels like in me is that I'm walking over to someone with a sharp knife and being like I cut you out of my life, which is not what's happening at all, right? What's actually happening is I love you, and I want to be able to be in a loving connection, but that doesn't work if we're at this proximity. So here's the distance I'm gonna step back to. You don't have to move at all. You don't have to change at all, but I'm gonna move out of reach, right? What it felt like in my gut was that I was gonna die. Mm -hmm. That like somehow if I said this boundary, if I articulated it, that it was, I was, it was tumultuous. It felt bubbly. I was like, did I eat cheese? Like what is happening? Like it's, I, it, it hurts. It really physically hurts me when, I when I'm this scared. Um, and then I did it. And then immediately afterwards, there's this feeling of like, like an exhale that happens at the cellular structure throughout my whole body. 
in all these places where I didn't realize I was carrying the tension. So like what I was feeling in the gut was like the activated point, but the whole body was tight and structured. So there's this letting it down, fear of backlash. So letting the wave of that happen, that's like, oh, and then you're another person. So you want to negotiate, you want to be in that, let the wave come. And then now I feel in right relationship with myself, right? Where I'm like, wow, I set a boundary that I actually need. And it's a real boundary that I really needed. And now it's really set. And I don't have to keep worrying about it. I don't have to keep wishing. I don't know if y'all do this, but I'll be in my head like, can't you just intuit that I need this boundary <laughs> and like <laughs> stay away from me? Um, and that doesn't work, you know? Um, and that's not my, again, I can't, because if you have the appease energy, there's nothing in on my surface that sends an away message to people. I have to cultivate that, right? Everything in my energy is like, come closer, let's cuddle. And I'm like, no, I don't wanna, I don't, I don't wanna talk to you, right, inside. So I feel now that I've aligned my inner and outer, right, where I'm like, oh, the boundary has been set. I don't have to pretend. I don't have to do anything like that. So there's a lot of, ah, thank God for eclipses. Thank God for um, astrology and thank God for boundary teachers. And learning the boundary. Uh, so I'll, I, uh, yeah. thank you. And Jane, thank you for that. So just I'm going to insert myself. <laughs> you were invited, honey. So <laughs> thank you for the invitation. Uh, it's the, I think that, I don't think that people understand that boundary setting is also a practice. Like it's a muscle. We have to learn how to flex. We have to learn how to assert sometimes. Sometimes you assert loudly, sometimes you can assert quietly, but my instance of radical permission actually took place last night and I still feel it in my body. I feel it still. I am exhausted. I am tired. I have, I'm holding on to um, pieces of shame and pieces of guilt around abandonment. Um, But the thing was, is in the moment when I am already so emotionally depleted. I have had no energy. I have no food in my body, no nourishment. I'm dehydrated. And crisis happens to one of my beloveds and I can't hold space. It was choosing me. I might cry now. It was choosing me to say, I can't do this, not in a meaningful way that's helpful. And I chose me by leaving so that they could be cared for and loved. And it doesn't take away from the love that exists in our friendship. Yeah. But it was also me loving myself through some of the hard shit that I've been through and I don't know how to do it so of course my muscle my internal emotional muscle is like cramping it feels like it feels like a cramp but it also doesn't feel like the wrong thing Mm -hmm. it feels like I did the right thing I made the right choice um yeah well it's also like you become more trustworthy in that moment right like the thing that the thing that always keeps me from asking for help is that I'm like, what if they're secretly don't want to help me and they're just helping me because they're pretending they fucking want to help me. And the thing <laughs> yes. that intervenes on that is not fake showing up for people where I'm like, yeah, I got you. And inside I'm like, can't do this. It's mm-hmm. too much for me, right? So you make yourself more, you have more integrity when yeah. you're like, I, you can trust me. And I tell you, Sonia, this all the time. I'm like, you can count on me. If I don't want to be there, I will not be there. <laughs> so if I am there, you don't have to question whether I want to be there. I am there. You can count on it. You can trust what shows up because the boundaries are also a strong practice. 
right? I'm like, I would say no. If I don't want you to come to my house, I'll just be like, no, you're not coming to my house. Mm-hmm. You know, like the more you, that's the thing to me that's been blowing my mind is I'm like, oh shit, if I practice this, I become more trustworthy in the love I'm actually offering. And I have more love to give, right? Because I'm not trying to spread it all around the places I don't actually have. Exhausted right and overextended, right? And what, what you know, Ty, what you said, there was a moment where you were like, I don't know how to do this. And I was like, that's not true because you did. You did. Right? You did it. You absolutely did it. Now it feels uncomfortable and you might have a, ooh, I, you know, it's like anything else. You haven't worked in a long time. The next day you're like, damn, I'm sore as shit. That, yeah. Yeah. Dead. What yeah. I and you know, I keep thinking about that too. However long we've been alive, we've been cultivating the opposite, the opposite. practice. So I'm like, it's probably gonna take my whole life of practicing this. Cause I spent the first 40 years of my life. Not, not doing that. A piece and not having boundaries. Uh, so I'm, gonna, I'm like, it's going to take a long time to, you know, for this to be embodied. So I'm not expecting it to be embodied now. I'm like, oh, I got to do that practice again. Ugh. I got to go to the, you know, to the boundary gym. I got to go to the vulnerability gym. You know, me in that boundary gym, honey. It almost feels like, I don't know. There's like the joke on the internet about like the gym bros who only do like upper body and then they've never done any. You haven't done like that. Like, I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'll appease you. I'll put myself last. Yes. And then my legs are down here. Like, I'm going to go ahead and take care of myself. And I love you. And I'm going to love you from a distance right now. Healthy. I got to go get my reps up, my sets up. Exactly. That's balance, though. Like, but balance is I work all the time. I work my vulnerability. I work my boundaries. I work my self love. I work, you know, like, work it all so that it, so that one isn't overcompensating for the other place you know Sonia did you share one I didn't um so I've given myself permission this week to um have desire um desire is a thing I've been (laughs) it's been tucked away um it's been tucked away because of fear right it's like oh I've mismanaged my desire in the past and so there was part of me that's like I don't know if I can trust myself to have desire again And part of the practice over the week has been to remind myself of all, and this is part of the reason why I pointed that out to you, Ty, is like, oh, I can tell myself that I don't, that I've only ever messed it up, (laughs) that I'm not trustworthy, that I don't know how to do the thing. And this week I spent being like, here's all the ways in which you have been very, very responsible with your desires. Here's all the ways in which you've grown. Here are all the ways in which you've proven yourself to be incredibly trustworthy to yourself you can trust yourself with this. Um, and so I'm allowing desire to return to me because, I, because I'm because i giving myself permission to trust that I can be a really good steward of it today. Oh, yeah. Um, and that's been, so that's been, you know, and you How's know, that it, feel? I'm excited whenever it materializes into, you know. How does that feel in your body? <laughs> but right now it's a felt experience, yeah. Where in your body do you feel it? Um, it's real sacral. Um, it's real root, it's real root and sacral and heart. I love that. Yeah. I love that for you. Yeah. What about you, Nisha? That's funny. I should have seen that one coming. Yeah, totally. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny as you were talking about like where it lit up in your body, it felt warm. Like as you were describing it, thinking about it, I think that it, if I'm thinking about one of the more recent, I'm not out in the rain moments that I practice radical permission. I think that 
this morning, I knew that last night had a lot of big energy as Ty had been talking about. And this morning, I knew that there was a lot of ways I was supposed to show up. I felt obligated to do many of the, the things I was supposed to show up in particular roles. And I knew that I just wouldn't have the capacity that I wanted to throughout the day. And I know that I wouldn't be showing up in a genuine space that I wanted to. And so I woke up as I was supposed to. I, I checked in with my capacity again, and it was exactly where I expected it to be. It was exactly where it was when I had gone to sleep. And so I sent out a message to folks saying that I'm actually gonna come in a little bit later. And it was really scary because I gave myself that permission to like not be perfect, to not do what was expected of me. And I also now thinking about the process as well is that I was, I was really practicing trust that other people were also going to be having this radical permission. Mm -hmm. I also was trusting that if somebody was like not niche, we need you here in 10 minutes, please. Mm -hmm. I was also trusting in the fact that somebody else would be able to say that. So I could also, it was, it was an exchange. I didn't necessarily set my radical permission and that was set, set hard concrete. That's it was, right. this is what it is. I'm gonna trust y'all to do that. And it felt really good. And yeah, I don't know where I feel it in my body. I'm still working on a lot of my body work. Um, but the analogy that was coming to my head earlier was just that it felt like there was a little carrot in front of my head and I knew I had to go to it. I knew that that was the only thing ahead of me and that that was the only thing I should focus on. <laughs> and after releasing the expectation, after going ahead and asserting the thing that I knew that we would show up for other people and especially myself, it felt like there was a buffet. It felt like there was no carrot. There, <laughs> there was a carrot, there was 10 types of carrots and many, many. Uh -huh. So I think that that's how, that's how I would say. And it was literally just as simple as saying, I'm gonna come an hour later and we'll be better for everybody involved. Yeah. Here's the clever it is like an it is an echo chamber thing, right? That's one of the things about radical permission. Like it creates an echo chamber. Like when you give yourself permission and you're in relationship with other people and you're clear about that, like all of a sudden everyone's like, wait, I can also it's invitation. Oh, I get to do that. Yeah, I can also live in you know, I think ultimately I can live in the present moment. I can attend to like what is the capacity I actually have right now to authentically show up for my life? And when you're in right relationship with that, almost anything is possible. They did this beautiful thing where they extended that same invitation to me and I didn't even say anything. I hadn't checked in, I was barely awake. And then it was, I'm doing this thing an hour later. So is Ty, dot, dot, dot. I'm like, oh, cool. Look, advocate, okay? <laughs> but like I also I I invite that caregiving like it, it was magical and exactly what I needed in that moment and that was um I think that's a question that's going to have to linger on folks's mind I mean because we're at time now so I'm going to close this out but like the idea of like how can we extend is is radical permission something we can extend to other folks or is it something we model for our community you know um we uh, I'm a decolonizer of times so if you have closing thoughts Please share them. Yeah, um, I was laughing. How we put Ty in charge of time? <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> we'll be here for hours. Yeah. <laughs> I would say my closing thought is related to that, you know, permission to others. I think when we give ourselves permission, it default gives others permission. Like it's not something, I don't think you can extend it to others in that way, or you can just remind them that they have it, right? Like, oh, you could also do this, but it's up to you and you'll find your path there but I'm going to do this. And I feel like, um, I feel like the world we're moving towards the future that we actually want 
is one in which people feel like they have permission to live in according accordance to their actual capacity and their needs and their longings and all of it. Um, and then, then we can actually figure out what the right relationship is between us all, right? We can't do that when we're all lying and overextending and exhausted and can't feel anything and burnt out. Like no reality is possible, just traumatic shapes. So mm -hmm. we're just giving ourselves permission to live. Yeah. I think it's contagious. <laughs> I think it's contagious. I think when you're, when you're around, you know, I, I don't think it's an accident that Adrian and I work together. I don't think it's an accident that you all desire to have us talk. It's because there's something that we're practicing. That you're like, oh, we want some of that. Right. And that, <laughs> that is what radical permission gives us is like the, something that we get to see and then be like, yes, I want, I want a helping of that. And so yeah, I think we just, we spread it by embodying it as best as we know how in our own lives. Oh, this is so juicy and so deep and it's so intuitive. Like my ancestors are tingling, like, duh, we've been telling you. <laughs> yes. oh, so now you've just validated my ancestors today, validated and confirmed. I love it. I love it. Um, it was a pleasure to have y'all both as guests of the Idaho Coalition. Uh, thank you for joining us and um, being so patient with planning and tech technology earlier today. Um, I hope that, you know, what folks walk away with is that, you know, we can, we can show up different and we have the tools and, you know, it's just the muscle we can flex together in community because we're supposed to, um, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot that we can take away. For those of you who's asked, there will be a recording. We will review the recording collectively and then release it to y'all via email. Same goes with some of these, you know, knowledge bombs. We've got those, you know, um, documented. We'd love to send those out to y'all as, as resources as well. Um, you can reach us at engagingvoices.org. And then the last thing I wanted to share with y'all is um, you can make a purchase of the Journal of Radical Permission um, online through bookshop.org. We have selected the Indigenous Idaho Alliance's bookshop storefront to receive the benefits of the purchase. Uh, the Indigenous Idaho Alliance is an organization across the state that supports MMIP, Missing and Murdered Indigenous Peoples Response, Rapid Response, and then moving into the holidays supports the um, rural and reservation elders and single heads of household with food and gifts for their families. So that's what your purchase supports. Um, again, Hamakis Katsiaya, deep gratitude for being with us, y'all. Um, thanks for joining us and we'll, we'll see you soon and we'll journey with you soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you all. It was a delight. Love y'all. Bye. Bye. Take Bye care. Deep love.